city of Goma had bedded down for the evening. Now in Goma there was nearly a half a million people and like so many people in cities they probably drifted to sleep thinking that it was just an ordinary night. Now whatever else this night was, this particular night for Goma was not an ordinary one. To the west of Goma is the Congo Republic. To the east lies war-torn Rwanda. To the south is Lake Kaiwu. Goma's problem didn't come from the south, the east, or the west, but her nemesis that night emerged from the north. Twelve miles to the north towered Mount Narigongo. Now this mountain is a part of the Virunga volcanic chain comprised of six extinct and two active volcanoes. Goma's 12,000-foot-tall neighbor was not of the extinct variety. Now, all through the day, in fact, all through the week, the warning signs had been there. The animals had been acting strange. The water temperature in the lake had risen, and its quality was poor. Yet it had been 25 years since the last eruption of that volcano. At this time, Goma slept. But in the middle of the night, the volcano shook itself and awakened. The mountain exploded with a rain of lava and ash. Can everybody hear me all right out there? All right. Just keep me loud because I'm on, I want to get this across. If I see anybody holding ears, I'll nod. Okay. Three molten flows cascaded down its steep sides towards the town below. A stream of fire 165 feet wide roared towards Goma, destroying everything within its path. It overran the town. 
And unlike Ezekiel's prophetic stream that touched dead things and they lived, this river touched living things and they died. About half of the city was destroyed. The people who could run did so. Some fled for the shores of the lake to catch a barge. Others raced on foot to Rwanda, forming a a tide of human misery. Still others went to the Congo. One of the refugees was an expectant young mother named Simur Izamu. In the course of fleeing from the volcano, she went into labor and she delivered a baby boy along the roadside. The first five days of the infant's life was spent wrapped in a blanket at the shore of Lake Kavu awaiting a barge. His health is poor, Seymour told a reporter. He does not breathe properly. The bad smell of lava seems to have affected him. Nevertheless, Seymour rocked her baby and she sang a lullaby about the beautiful Congo which now lay in ruins. Seymour named her baby Volcano. Forever... He was going to be associated with the circumstance of his birth. She asked the reporter, what other name could I give him? He was born during a volcano, so I'm going to name him Volcano. Now, I'm going to preach tonight about a... I I may have preached on him before, but this, this particular man has always intrigued me. In more ways than one. I'm going to preach about him because uh, he had a a name given to him. Similar to what this this African lady gave her name, but in a little different way. But the circumstances was similar. In Judges 11, 1 through 6, it says, Now Jephthah the, the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up. And they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for you are the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. And it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come, (coughs) excuse me, and be our captain that we may fight with the children of Ammon. Now like the boy named Volcano, Jephthah was born in bad circumstances. But he was given a name better than his circumstances. And I want to preach about that tonight. A name better than my circumstances. Don't you believe that God has given us a name that is better than any circumstance that anyone of us has ever gone through? We got a name that is higher, greater, bigger than any name given among men whereby you must be saved. Whenever the name of Jesus was mentioned over me in water baptism, I was given a name that was greater than my circumstances. Praise God. You know what is in a name? I don't know about you, but I, I, I love you all. But sometimes you bring these babies up to be dedicated, and I can't pronounce the names. I have the awfulest time. But I know that you work hard at it. You don't want to name them Debbie or Hank or, or Rob or Rick or Adam, you know, or Jim. You know, you want something unique. Mephibosheth or something like that. (laughs) To most families, the naming of a child is a very special occasion. They search and they search for just the right name. And books are bought, listing thousands. How many of you have ever bought a baby book with all these names in them? Come on, lift them up real high. Come on, look at that. Everybody. When my son was born, I said, there's only one name to call that boy. When my grandson was born, I said the same thing, and they, well, they almost did it, you know. <laughs> so, oh, we, you know, we buy books listing thousands of suggested names. Family lineages are searched, and biblical names are often reviewed, and, and each family searches for just the right name. 
At times, however, names are associated with the circumstances of one birth. I, I read where a preacher said he had a cousin who was named after the, after the hurricane Camille. Now hear this. Her name was this, Remember Camille. Now, they called her Memo for short. But it's the truth. They named her Remember. Now, how would you like to be stuck with that one? Remember Camille Robertson. Wow. In Scripture, names had meaning. From the, the first man named Adam, remembering the red dirt from which he was made, to the first woman named Eve, because she was to be the mother of all living people. Names meant something in Scripture. A biblical name connoted something about the nature of the person or the, or the circumstance in which he was born. Isaac's name reflected his mother's laughter at his birth. Esau's name described his appearance. Jacob was named supplanter because of his unusual clutching his twin brother's heel. Moses, by his name, because he was, had his name, came by it because he was drawn from the water. And many times in Scripture, you can find that parents placed a shortened form of God's name on their child's name. Elisha, Elijah, Daniel, Isaiah, and Jephthah. A shortened form of God's name was given to them. Behind each name is a story, and there's a story about the meaning of Jephthah's name. His biography is similar to that, to that one-verse biography of Naaman in 2 Kings 4.1. Naaman, the Bible says, was a captain, a great man, a mighty man, but he was a leper. Leprosy was such a great taboo in Bible days that it turned princes into pariahs and kings into curs and emperors into exiles. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor and he was the son of a harlot, Judges 11 and 1. That was another taboo in Bible days. From the world's oldest profession came the world's ancient curse. The child of a harlot was despised in those days. Some would say that Jephthah his mother wasn't truly a harlot. Some say she was just a concubine and that uh, Gilead was, you know, that it was somewhat better than a harlot. And, and others, you know, that they, they just you know, have different ideas about it. But that's not regardless. that He was denied an inheritance because of his parentage. Uh, others said that his mother was an Ishmaelite. Still others a Gentile. But now and I want you to know what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that she was a Gentile, an Ishmaelite, or a concubine. What it says that she was a harlot. He was born in taboo. He was nothing and nobody because he was the son of a harlot. Jephthah, the son of a harlot. Now that is the circumstance of his birth, yet he was not named the son of a harlot. Now follow me. He had to live with the ramification of his circumstances, or the circumstance, rather, of his birth. But he didn't have to be named accordingly. He had to live with the ramifications, but he didn't have to be named accordingly. Someone gave Jephthah a valuable gift. He was given a name which was better than his circumstance. Regardless of the conditions of his birth, each and every time his name was called, it was a divine memo for Jephthah means God will set me free. Every time they said Jephthah, they were saying God will set me free. Every time Jephthah was breathed, God will set me free. Listen to me, friend. Wouldn't it be something regardless of what you're around, whatever has come your way, how However you've been born, what kind of bad circumstances you came from. Every time someone mentioned your name, they were saying, God one day is going to set you free. God one day is going to set you free. Oh, listen, I was set free 28 years ago by that wonderful name of Jesus. And every time I think about it, I can't help but get excited because I was set free by a name. Oh, whenever someone looks down on that name, when someone makes fun of that name, I'm saying, you don't know him like I know him. You have not been aware of what I'm aware of. You've not encountered what I've encountered because I have been set free. A lot has been said through the years concerning our circumstances. And regardless of how much how much you hear it preached, to still 
grasp it, to still understand it, to still take it and internalize it. It's a different story. It's one thing to shout about it. It's something else to live it. And, and all too often, we let circumstances rule us. We let them rule. No one expected much from the son of a harlot named Jephthah. This stigma stuck with him even in the writing of the Holy Writ. And since he was illegitimate, he couldn't go into God's house. Neither could his children, his grandchildren, nor any of his descendants up to ten generations, according to Deuteronomy 23 and 2. Up to ten generations, they couldn't go into God's house because he was the son of a harlot. No one expected to see much out of Jephthah. I mean, how would you feel? You know, you can't even come to church because you are the son of a harlot. Your children can't come to church. Your grandchildren can't come to church. Their grandchildren can't come to church because you're the son of a harlot. Follow me. And I can almost hear someone saying, I don't see much good coming out of that boy. You know, he's son of a harlot. Oh, Gilead, he should have been a little bit more careful. Shouldn't have done what he did. Boy's not much. Now listen to me, folks. Sight is not objective. We, we usually see what we expect to see. If we've been conditioned to see evil, guess what? We see evil. If we've been conditioned to see good, we see good. Our circumstances often condition us to see either good or evil. Our circumstances will do that. Now imagine those good folks in Gilead, uh, in Gilead as a child Jephthah ran by. Hear them whisper, there's that child of a harlot. And if a prophet's not without honor in his own country, how much less honor is, is showed to a child of a harlot? Circumstances were not favorable for Jephthah. Conditioned by his surroundings, this young man could have easily adopted the mindset which says, they think I'm terrible, I might as well be terrible. Listen to me, folks, and I'm going to say this to somebody in particular. I don't care how bad you're being treated right now. You do not allow those circumstances to make you act the way you're being treated. You do what's right. You live for God. You act like you're living for God. You keep above it. You don't let your temper get a hold of you. You don't let anger get a hold of you. There's some people. Now stop. Everybody get this. There are some people that are just stupid. There are some people that are just stinking stupid. Some people that are just stinking, stinking stupid. You want me to keep going? I can cut this on. I can go for an hour on this. Huh? You just do what's right. You act like a child of God. You be a child of God. And there's going to be other children of God who are not at your level that are jealous of you. And they think, well, that he's, he or she is nothing. They don't have no blue blood pedigree. They're not Pentecostal from way back. I was Pentecostal from way back, and I didn't act like one. You know, having a pedigree doesn't mean anything. What matters is what's happening right now. What matters is how you live for God right now. What matters is what you do right now. I don't care what they do. I don't care what your lineage is. God has given you a name, and that name is great. That name is wonderful. That name is Counselor. That name is the Mighty God. That name is the Everlasting Father. That name is the Prince of Peace. Oh, come on. That's the name I've got. That name of Jesus is all over me. It's through me in water baptism. Oh, it is the greatest name there is. None other like him. We've all seen it happen. You paint a child with a brush of criticism, and he grows up critical. You paint a child with the stiff bristles of rejection, and she seeks rejection rather than love. There's people out there. There's some ladies out there that's been married, and the only thing you all that you know is rejection. Some of you have been married more than once. You got rejected by the first husband. You went out and found another one just like the first one. Because the only thing you know is rejection. You've got something better than that tonight. 
You're full of the wonderful baptism of the Holy Ghost. You have taken on the name of Jesus in water baptism. You don't have to accept rejection. You're bigger and better than that. You call a child something long enough and he or she will live either up or down to reach that name. Why does that happen? It's because we let circumstances rule us. We forget who we are and whose we are. From the time immortal, God delights in taking little and making much out of it. Someone whispered words of faith over a despised son of a harlot. Imagine this. A despised son of a harlot. Someone said, God will set you free. I'm going to give you that name. Somebody spoke words of faith. And guess what? God did it. Just by whispering words of faith over a child. You contrast Jephthah's name with those given to the daughter and the son of another harlot in Scripture called Gomer. Her daughter was named Lo-Rahama, and her son was named Lo-Ami. Lo is a prefix meant without. These two children of a prostitute were named without a people and without compassion. How would you like to be stuck with that name? Without a people and without compassion. And they lived up to their name or down, whatever you would want to say. Sometimes we let circumstances rule us. But through faith in God, we can triumph over these circumstances. Have you ever thought about it? When Jesus was born of Mary, of Mary's people must have, have or Mary rather, people must have whispered that she too was guilty of the same thing as Jephthah's mother. Now you hear that. But guess what she did? Mary named her child Jesus for he would save his people from their sins. She didn't let circumstances rule her. She called over him a name that was above everything because she did not allow the situation. You can say, well, an angel come to her. Listen, there's been angels that's come to some of you. Don't let circumstances rule you just because somebody, come on, someone came to you and told you it'll never amount to anything, it'll never work, it'll never happen. You can make the difference in your life when you make the decision, I'm going to get above this. I'm not going to allow this. I'm going to call my children by a name that's going to cause it to, to, to be better than what I have ever been. I, I don't. I don't mean to. I, I don't mean to be. Uh, uh, you know, to, to cause anybody any, you know, bad feelings or anything. But uh, it's Dan's okay. Dan. Dan loves me. Yeah. Good. I told his son the other day. He was up here at the altar, and I said, you know, I said, you can be better than your dad. But you see, that's what I wanted for mine. If you're here and you don't want your children to be better than you, then there's something wrong with your relationship. I want mine to be better than me. I want every preacher to be better than me. I don't want to live that kind of selfish life. I want to call over them words of faith. You are going to be better. You are going to be bigger. You are going to be greater. I want to see them do more because this, this world has got plenty of room for people to succeed. This world has got plenty of room for people to go up. This world has got plenty of room for people to ascend those rings I was telling you about earlier to get to a higher place in God than I've ever been. If you can do it, God bless you. If you can get higher, God bless you. I'd like to know that somehow I had just a small part of something great. You know, God delivers people to a good place. The Bible says that Jephthah dwelt in the land of Tob, meaning a good land. Later we find him being anointed the ninth judge of Israel. We see him unschooled in the ways of God, trying to worship a God he hardly knew. We see him making rash vows before God. Imperfect though he was, God had set him in a good place. Now... We can say what we want. You've heard it preached. You know, he said, God, if you deliver the Ammonites into my hand, first thing I see when I come home, I'm going to give to you. First thing come running out of the house was his daughter. 
Now, I, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time belaboring the fact here, but let's just let's look at it for a minute. The, the Israelites had a problem. They moved into Canaan land, and instead of, of converting the Canaanites or killing them all and getting rid of them, they turned out to be a little bit like Canaanites. They were, they were a mix. You know, poor old Jephthah, he didn't know how to worship Jehovah. So he thought, you know, the way you worship Jehovah is the way the Canaanites worship their gods. And so, you know, the Canaanites, would, they, it wasn't unusual for them to kill their children offered to their strange gods. He just didn't know any better. Are you with me? You know, sometimes you can sit in the church and you just don't know any better. Sometimes you look and you wonder why people do and act and look the way they do. It's just because you don't know any better. But it's up to you to listen and to learn and to grow. Whoever you are, you've got to always grow. I'm not done growing yet. I don't have all the answers yet. But I'm going to continue to grow as much as I can. I'm not going to let go of what i got, but I'm certainly not going to stop where I am. I don't believe he killed her to begin with. I think he just sacrificed uh, her virginity to God. That simply means she didn't get married. So he made rash vows. It is perhaps one of the most profound secrets in living the abundant life in Jesus Christ. We're not truly delivered from something until we're delivered to something. You see, that's our problem. You, You want to know why you're not delivered? You want to know why you keep coming down here all the time and you're never free from cigarettes or drugs? You've got the Holy Ghost, you've spoken tongues, you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you're still dealing with the same trash. You see, I, I, I've used him many times, but I can tell you, this, this was a new revelation I had. Eldar didn't get free of drugs and heroin and all that junk until he was delivered to something. Delivered from is one thing, but you have to go somewhere. If I'm delivered from something, I'm just out there floating around in there and I have no stability whatsoever until I get to something. If you're out there and you're having troubles because you have not listened to God, God has something for you. And you have to be delivered to that in order to get free from something. Paul exclaimed it this way in Colossians 1, 12 through 13. He said, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. He said, you see, you can't get away from darkness until you can get to light. Until you sit back there, you're sitting back there and you're not free. It's because you've not gone to the light yet. God has given you the way to get there through the Spirit. He's given you His name and water baptism. But you see, you're hanging on to some darkness back there because you're afraid to let Him deliver you all the way into the light because it's something so brand new to you. You know, we're not free when we leave darkness. We're free when we step into light. We're not free when we leave something behind, but when we find something better. We are free, not when we say, I will stop this, but when we say, I will start this. You want to get free from something, you make a, you make a commitment to God, a sacrifice. God, I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to pray this, this long. It doesn't take a lot, but when you make that commitment and you abide by it, then you're delivered to something. It's called the law of forward motion. As long as Israel went forward following the fiery torch by night and the cloud canopy by day, she was cleansed. This is the righteousness of faith. It is the holiness of moving towards God. Her deliverance from Egypt was twofold. When she walked out of bondage and when she stepped into the fulfillment of a promise. That's when she was delivered completely. Deuteronomy 6, 21 and 23. Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore in his fathers. He brought us out to bring us in. Out to in. Out to in. You've got to have somewhere to go. I wish you could understand this. 
God only delivers people from something to deliver them to something. He does not idly deliver people to prove that he can. There is no wasted effort in God, no superfluous motion. He, he works everything according to his plan. He only lifts people from the miry clay that he might place them on a rock. Now what we're going to do, we're going to say it together. We're going to say Jephthah together. You ready? Follow my mouth. Get ready. Get set. I'm going to say it. Okay? When I say it, you say Jephthah with me. And don't forget, you've got to say it together because it won't work unless you say it together. When I count to three, one, two. Now, I'm going to do this, so don't, don't. I promise you, I will. I've got to get this right, though. I've got to say it just right. Rob, don't mess me up. Because, you see, the key here. It's when we say Jephthah, we're saying God will set me free. And words are a powerful thing. I don't want you to say Jephthah unless you mean it. I don't want you to say it unless you believe God will set you free. Because when you get set free, there's something that happens to you. The Holy Ghost begins to bubble up and you say, I'm free. I'm going to get out of this and get into something. Come on down. What are you going to get into? Don't say Jephthah unless you know where God wants to take you to. All right, you ready? When I say Jephthah, you got to say it with me. Don't you say it unless you mean it. Don't you sit back there and do it just because I'm telling you to. Don't you do it unless you believe God can set you free. You see, that's the problem of too many people. They don't have enough faith in God. But I believe God can set me free. Are you ready? Let's say it right now. Jephthah. Let's do it again. Jephthah. Let's do it one more time. Jephthah. Has God set you free? Let's worship and love Him together. with a design, power with a purpose, and rescue with a reason. God will set Jephthah free that he might set his people free. Hey, listen, that's what happened when you took that wonderful name of Jesus. There was a design for this. There was a purpose for this. And there was a reason for this. God doesn't do something idly. He doesn't do something halfway. He gave you a name that when you call on the name of Jesus, all heaven stands at attention. When you call on the name of Jesus, all hell trembles. When you call in the name of Jesus, people have to stand up and take notice. Praise God. I want you to hear me. When I tell you this, what God does in our life is designed to propel us to believe Him to do something similar in other lives. Are you with me? Each of us should name our associates, our families, our friends, and our enemies, Jephthah. God will set you free. You see, when you come up to look at somebody, next time you come to church, you walk up to them and say, Jephthah. Come on. Jephthah, God will set you free. When you see a frown on somebody's face, you say, Jephthah, God will set you free. That's all it is. It's just a name that means God will set you free. So when I say it, I'm believing God is going to do it. Uh, You're not with me. I'm preaching to myself here. You're not with me. You see, it's not a matter of you clapping your hands. It's a matter of you being with me. There's a difference. Come on. You're not understanding me. You see, there's power in this. I'm not preaching this just because I need something to preach. I believe what I'm preaching. Jephthah, God will set me free. God has set me free. God will continue to set me free. Whenever the enemy tries to bind me, God will set me free. Whenever the enemy tries to come in and cloud my mind, God will set me free. Whenever a headache comes, God will set me free. Jephthah, 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 Jephthah. Oh, I feel something in the Holy Ghost right now. Don't you feel something in the Holy Ghost? 
if you are so sick of being bound. Now, I'm going to continue to preach, but if you're so sick of being bound, I want you to make a little sacrifice for me tonight. I want you to just come down here to this altar and stand. If you're just sick of being bound. Don't do it unless you're sick of being bound. I don't want you down here unless you're sick of being bound. Just stand here. Now, I'm going to continue to preach. I don't want you to pray. I don't want you to raise your hands. I want you to stand down here and look at me. Look at me like I'm something pretty. Mm. Who named Jephthah? You know, I'm not sure. Nobody is. Could have been his mama. Could have been his daddy because daddies named, uh, named children just like mothers named children. Uh, it could have been somebody else. It could have been a servant. I mean, he was the son of a harlot. A servant called on to, to raise this unwanted child that may have just said, you know, I, I think there's something more here to this little guy. So we're going to say, we're going to name him. God will set you free. I look at his circumstances. Look how bad he is. I mean, they just threw him at me. Just threw him at me. Want me to do something with him. He's not going to get any inheritance. He's not going to get nothing. <laughs> and so, so this servant says, I'm, I'm going to call him Jephthah. A good name, a name that freed him from his circumstances. Are you hearing me now? God uses us to set others free. We call those things that are not over those who seem to perish in their circumstances. That's what faith is. You know, I look at him and I say, he could perish in his circumstances, so I call something good over in Jephthah. God's going to set you free. God's going to set you free. Oh, you said, I'm already free, but you're not free like you're going to be free. You know, you're going to be free a lot more than you ever thought about it. I don't know why I do this. I, I don't even know. I, I'm not even sure I like you a whole lot, but, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just a, I see something in you that God wants to say. I see a Jephthah there. I see something. I see, I see a mind. I see a person who's going to, grow, going to grow more than I've ever grown. I see... You know, we sow hope seed. Hear me? We need to sow hope seed over the most dismal swamps and pray for God's best. We're the peddlers of hope. We're the sowers of dreams. We deal in tomorrows. We see things like a brighter day is on the way. That's what. I don't pay attention. We don't need to pay attention to what's going on around us. We don't care what uh, Obama's doing. We don't care what the president's doing. We don't care. What we do care is what God can do here tonight. What we do care for is what God's going to do around us. He's going to do in Spencer and Gosport and Zealotsville and Bloomington. What we do care for. That's what we care for. We give others hope beyond the present. We give them a name better than their circumstances. It's a great story I'm going to tell you here. Just hang on. Hang on. You're giving me a little sacrifice now. Annie. Annie was nearly blind. At the age of three, her vision started failing. And she was sent to Tewksbury, the Massachusetts State Poorhouse. Now, her poor vision became a rich blessing in disguise. Once it was discovered, she was transferred to Perkins Institute for the Blind. There she learned the techniques to cope with blindness and deafness. Now, who can forget that fateful day on March 3rd? Many of you have read the story, read the book. March 3rd, 1887, when Annie stepped from a train onto the station of a rural Alabama town. There she met a young mother named Kate, whose daughter had become blind and deaf at the age of 19 months. How could Annie know that her life would forever be entwined with that of a seven-year-old student named Helen, Helen Keller? Annie was a teacher. Helen was a student. It was the blind leading the blind. And so inseparable were they that, that today their graves lay side by side. Years after Annie taught Helen to live above her circumstances, Helen spoke at a dedication of a large fountain at Radcliffe College. The fountain was dedicated to her teacher, Annie Sullivan. By this time, Helen was a prolific author and a world traveler, and she gave speeches around the world before kings and parliaments and congresses. Yet the flowing water of that fountain overwhelmed her that day. And it took her back and her mind to a teacher who reached her with that single word signed over and over into her hands. Before the August crowd gathered on campus that day, Helen opened her mouth and spoke the word that lifted her above her circumstances. The word first taught to her by Annie. She said, water. One word, just one word liberated Helen from her circumstances. Ann Sullivan wrote these words. Love is something like the clouds that are in the sky. 
You cannot touch the clouds. You know, but you feel the rain and know how glad the flowers and the thirsty earth are to have it after a hot day. Yet cannot touch love either. You cannot touch love either. But you feel the sweetness that it pours into everything. Love pours. Love pours. The wise woman of Tekoa would agree. She said that a human life is like a, a bottle of water poured under the ground. After it's poured out, can't be gathered up again. And it's perhaps one of the oldest offerings known to man, the drink offering. Jacob poured out a cruise of oil at Bethel each morning and each evening. In the Jewish temple, drink offerings were poured out before God. Love pours. Love pours. Pour on people a word. A name better than the circumstance. Now what I'm going to ask, and I'm not done yet, but I'm going to ask you, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to, to, to tie in tonight. Some of you that are back in the congregation, you tie into the Spirit. And I want you to give somebody down here a word. You don't have to give them no long, drawn-out speech. A word. A word, because love pours. I want you to pour into them. And the platform the same way. Let God give you a word for somebody down here. A word that's going to set them free. A Jephthah. Love pours. So pour on people a word. Lift them to a higher level. Promote others ahead of yourself. Happiness rides side-saddled with sacrifice. Love pours. Love will always pour. Jesus poured. The Shulamite said of the son of David that his name was an ointment poured forth. Speak his name over impossible situations. I don't care how. You know what your word may be? It just may simply be Jesus because that's enough. Someone gave a child of a harlot a word from God, Jephthah. It was a gift of love. It was a name better than circumstances. You know what's so great about Jephthah? You know what's so great? It's, it's the fact that Jephthah is in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And you know what he's between? He's between David and Samson. The strongest man in Scripture and the man whose heart was after God's own heart. The son of a harlot wound up between Samson and David. Do you know what that's telling me? I don't care who you are and how low you may think you are. You can wind up in the hall of famous people. Hebrews 11.32 And what shall I more to say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah of David also, and Samuel of the prophets. Jephthah, you made it. You made it. You rose above a life of mediocrity. You triumphed over the volcanic forces that would drive you down. God delivered you from this world's taboo into His heavenly tableau. You have a name better than your circumstance. Let's raise our hands to this place. When God gives you a word, I want you to go to somebody down here in front of me. I want you to go. Someone in front of me. Come on. Come on. Whoever you are in the back, God's going to give you a word. I want you to come.